Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast today. I'm very excited. One of my favorite authors, Ariel Ford. She is a love and relationship expert, a leading personality in the personal growth and contemporary spirituality movement. For the past 25 years, she has been living, teaching, and promoting consciousness through all forms of media. Her mission is to help people find love, keep love, and most importantly, be love. Ariel is the gifted writer and author of 11 books, including the international bestseller, The Soulmate Secret, Manifest the Love of Your Life with the Law of Attraction, and also the author of Turn Your Mate into Your Soulmate and more. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's very, very exciting to be with you. I'm really excited. I've listened to, I think the audiobook version of The Soulmate Secret is one of the one of my favorite books ever. And I'll, I'll tell you a few reasons why with the audience. There's lots of people talking about love and how to manifest it. But the way that I feel you do it differently and better is that you give very clear, detailed examples, meditations, feelingizations, which we'll get into, and just ways of thinking and being to, to prime and prepare yourself for a true soulmate, where some people just talk theoretically about it. So I feel like your work is so in it's so practical because you can get deep into it. But for the people that don't know your story, um, you know, the the right off the bat, it's like you turned you were an age past 40. Was it 43? And you were like, I forgot to get married. Can you tell us what happened? <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's exactly what happened. I woke up one morning and I was lying in bed and I didn't even have my eyes open yet. I was feeling around the bed looking for my 25-pound cat who usually slept with me. And all I could feel was this empty, expansive bed. The cat wasn't there. And I had this thought, which was, oh, my God, I forgot to get married. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was lying in bed wondering, like, well, what happened, you know? And I realized that I had put all my time and energy and attention on building my business. Back in those days, I had a book publicity firm, and I was really successful. I'll just name drop a few of my clients. Deepak Chopra, Wayne Dyer, Marianne Williamson, Don Miguel Ruiz, Neil Donald Walsh, Gary Zukov, Dean Ornish, you know, pretty much everybody in the self-help field was my client. And so I was busy and I was having fun. And um, I would only think about, you know, why I didn't have a relationship once a week. And it was always on a Saturday night at 11 o'clock at night. (laughs) I'd be driving home from a party or a gala or screening or something fun. And then it would dawn on me that I was all alone, that I had nobody to share this with. And I'd make this commitment, okay, on Monday, I'm going to get serious and I'm going to find a boyfriend. And then Monday would come and I was, you know, booking clients on the Today Show and this, that and the other thing. And, you know, the same thing happened over and over. So on that particular morning, I decided, you know what, I'm an excellent manifester. I know how to use the law of attraction. Let's see if it'll work on my love life. And I made a list of every prayer process ritual I'd ever done in other areas of my life. I applied it to my love life. And within six months, I manifested somebody who exceeded all my expectations. A year later, we got married. We actually had three weddings. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. That's so amazing. I love the fact that you had three weddings. Can you just touch on that? Because I know the audience sure. is going, wait, what? Three weddings? Hey, wait a minute. Well, you know, so by this point, I was 44 and I figured I deserved three weddings. And what happened was the first wedding uh, was a Hindu ceremony with the uh, the Saint Amma, the hugging saint. Some people know who she is. Yes. She's hugged over like a billion people or something. Anyway, so we had this big ritualistic Hindu wedding with 2,000 people there, most of whom we didn't even know because it was at one of her public events. But it wasn't a legal wedding. And at the time that this happened, I was doing publicity for Kenny Loggins, who your younger, your younger audience may not know him. He's a big rock star. And I was telling Kenny, I, we have to have a legal wedding. And he said, you know what? I always wanted to be ordained as an officiant 
I'll perform your wedding. So Kenny Loggins became our wedding officiant and our wedding singer. And we had a big formal wedding in Santa Barbara. And then I had another client who was uh, the high priestess of Wicca in Manhattan. And she performed a pagan hand fasting ceremony for us on the top of a mountain. So we had three very unique and fun weddings. That is so wonderful. Let's get into, you know, you you detail so much of this in your book, but let's go through a couple of the things we need to look at when we're going in this direction. Um, sure. One is, you know, let's talk about carrying the burdens of the past with you. Can you just touch on that concept? Um, well, here's here's what gets in the way of people who are trying to manifest love. They're living with a lot of limiting beliefs and false beliefs such as I'm too old, I'm too fat, I'm too damaged, all the good ones are taken, uh, the one that was got away, uh, I've been hurt too badly, I'm unlovable, it's not meant to be for me, you know, all of those kinds of things. None of which is true, for starters, but it gets in the way because the law of attraction states that we draw to us the people, places, and experiences that match our state of being. So if your state of being is, I'm such a loser, I'm unlucky in love, it's never going to happen, well, guess what? You're going to get to be right. That is what you will be creating over and over again, as opposed to, I'm so fortunate, so blessed, so loved, so lovable, and you know my ideal soulmate life partner will be arriving any day. Totally different energy level, right? So the first breakthrough for most people is to really stop believing every thought that they have. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because those thoughts are not true. They're just lies that you tell yourself because, you know, maybe you've built a wall around your heart. You're afraid of getting hurt again. You know, so you just tell yourself, you make up excuses as to why it isn't happening. You know, the one we get here in this town a lot is, um, especially like in Los Angeles, like, oh, you know, there's no good guys here. <laughs> you right? know, that, that's a right? classic second, one. Yeah. I got to move out of town to find a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's so not true. So, and there's a lot of women out there. I'll, I'll describe the ones that come to my workshops. Okay. So they're waking up in the morning and they're doing their meditation. They're drinking a green drink. They're going to hot yoga. They go shopping at Whole Foods on the way home to get their organic non-GMO paleo diet. Uh, you know, they, <laughs> they uh, you know, are reading Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson kinds of books. They show up at Agape and go listen to the choir once a week. And they believe in every cell of their body that they're spiritual beings. But what happens is when they show up at a date, the first thing they do is go into judgment. He's to this, he's to that, or there's no possibility of date. And what happens when you do that is um, the, the Institute of Heart Math has already proven that when you are having angry, toxic, or judgmental thoughts, you suppress your immune system for up to eight hours. So even though you think you're spiritual and you think you're leading this healthy lifestyle, your toxic judgmental thoughts are wiping out all the time and money and energy you're spending thinking that you're doing all the right things to lead a long, healthy, happy life. Yeah, it sounds like when I used to go hiking and then I'd be done with my hike and I'd light up a cigarette. That didn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, back in the day, it was just a total, so you could do the meditation, but then if you get out the, in the world and you're having conflicts or yucky thoughts or, right? Yeah, it's you're canceling it out. And the thing about people saying, well, there's just no good men out there, that's not correct. What's correct is you don't know, you wouldn't recognize a good man if you saw him. Okay, you are living in this bubble of belief because I can't see it. I can't believe it. And as our friend Wayne Dyer always said, you won't see it until you believe it. You know, and I know plenty of women, many over 50, who are beautiful and successful and every area of their life works, except they were single, found the perfect husband on Match.com. Because there are conscious men out there, but you have to actually have the attitude, well, what is it that I'm looking for? You know, and a lot of women are looking for what Alison Armstrong calls the hairy version of themselves. They want the guy that's going to go to hot yoga with them because somehow they think that doing yoga is a spiritual practice. If that were true, 
uh, Russell Simmons wouldn't be under scrutiny for raping all these women because he's one of the most famous yogis out there, right? So, so it's really important to understand that what you're looking for isn't a quote-unquote spiritual man. It's more of a conscious man. And a conscious man who's somebody who's living his life on purpose, right? So they, I love that. Right? It's a man who's on purpose. So he may not drink green drinks. He may never go to yoga with you. He wouldn't meditate if his life depended on it. But he would, in a heartbeat, you know, coach Little League, drive your mother to a doctor's appointment, pull over to the side of the road if he saw somebody hurt or injured or in need, you know, somebody with a good heart. So for all those living in L.A. who says there's no good men here, I'm saying you don't know how to see the men that are there. Right. Or even if you're in a small town and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I already know everybody. You never know who's going to float in or who you'll meet somewhere. Yeah. Right. I have uh, one of my students who uh, is 64 years old, had been divorced for over 25 years, was convinced it was never going to happen. She did my whole soulmate secret workshop. Do you know where she met her soulmate? Where? Turns out he lived across the street from her for eight years and never, never saw him. And Brian and I, who were officiants, we officiated at their wedding two months ago at Balboa Park. Oh, lovely. And, and she couldn't be happier. Now, did she see him every day as she went to her carport to drive away? Yeah, absolutely. Did she ever bother to cross the street to say hello? She didn't until after she did the soulmate secret. And then she saw him one day in his front yard planting a tree. And she was curious, what kind of tree is that? So she walked over and she said, hi, what kind of tree are you planting? And he told her this beautiful story of how he was planting a lemon tree in honor of his deceased wife and how she loved lemons so much. And they had a friendly chat And then she left. And the next day he called her and she said, how did you get my phone number? And he said, I called every neighbor till I found somebody who knew you. I've baked you a peach pie. Can I bring it over? And this guy is just adorable. I'm melting over here. (laughs) Right? He, He never heard of Wayne Dyer or Deepak Chopra ever. But he's got a big, loving heart, and he didn't need to go to therapy because he had a happy childhood, and he knew what it is to make a commitment and have a long marriage, and he couldn't wait to get married again. And yes, this woman is a little neurotic and a little bit of a control freak, but he loves that about her. He honors that about her. He said to me the first time we met him, he got, he said, you know, she, she really likes to be in charge and take control. And he said, you know what? I'm okay with that because she makes good decisions. That's so great. And I, you know, on that note, too, uh, with having sort of quote things in common, right? Like wanting someone to go to yoga with you. You know, you can hike all day long with someone and do a million different activities that are all the same. But what I found is that what's really more important is what you and just highlighting what you said is liking the way the other person thinks about things. It doesn't mean, you know, that they have to, like you said, go to church with you or or do these other things or be, quote, spiritual and meditate, but just that you like the way they look at the world. Right. And actually what they found is the, the, the denominators of a great, long, happy, healthy marriage are um, chemistry, but not a, it doesn't have to be a ton. It doesn't have to be crazy wild, but some chemistry, connection, compatibility, good communication, which can be learned. And the single number one most important thing is a shared vision for the future. You know, so like if you always want to live near the beach, you don't want to be with somebody who hates the sand and the water and wants to be in the mountains. If you're of a certain age and you know for sure you want to have children and a family, you can't be with somebody who's done having kids or doesn't want to have any children, right? So the shared vision for the future is the biggest piece of it. So this doesn't mean that you do all these activities together. It just means that you have the space and the acceptance for everybody to be themselves and you have some common interests. I love that. Um, One of the things that your, uh, the soulmate secret really turned around for me is so long ago, I just was attracting a certain pattern of people that you start to see and you're like, hmm, okay, that's not what I want. So I need to turn it around. That's what led me to your book. And then Really had some really interesting experiences, but I'll fall on my sword here because I really got clear about what I wanted. However, 
I missed a little part of myself being available. Okay, right? Like, so I, and it wasn't that I wasn't available. It's that, and I've, I've mentioned it before on a couple of podcasts, um, where I uh, got just physically disabled with my arms when I was 23. I got severe tendonitis, and you can't really see it. So, you know, I just it was hard for me to admit that I was, quote, damaged or had something wrong. You know, I just had too much pride and ego and shame about it. So I wouldn't tell people I dated or I'd wait to tell them or it was just a weird thing that I was hiding, you know, for a long time. I, I really had to look at that because I was still carrying something in me that didn't feel worthy or was embarrassed or ashamed that someone might reject me. Whatever it was, I had to go deal with that. You know what I mean? So while the attraction of the people, like the manifestations were were still, I mean, like a 180s in terms of the type of person I was bringing in. I'm like, this is so great. And then I hit a wall one time where I, I, I realized it was, wow, I've got to clean up this part because I'm not being vulnerable and open and sharing something that I need to in order to be accepted. Does that make sense? So it's like you can give and you can manifest, but my hiccup there was I didn't do the work on the other side of it. Um, I, I believe in outing yourself early on, you know, so I'm, I'm a messy person and I'm a really sloppy eater. So I would <laughs> tell people right away that, you know, and and, and the story I've made up about it is that I have such a huge appetite for life and appetite for food that I'm going to get my food all over me and probably all over you. And if you can't deal with it, you just need to know early on because it's not going to change. <laughs> okay. Right. I like, and I'm transparent. You know, I've been transparent about it since I dealt with it. But, you know, that was a thing that I had to just kind of be upfront about and say, look, this is who I am. You know what I mean? Without that description, but just be open about it. And you know what? No one's rejected. You know, no, my fears of being rejected or someone thinking I was less than or whatever as a result of it, it was not true. It was not true. That fear was not true. No, it's, it's much more annoying when somebody's in denial. Like I'm at an age now where, you know, a lot of people I know are hard of hearing, but they're, of, you know, they won't get a hearing aid, you know, and it's really hard to talk to them because they can't hear and you're always having to repeat or they go silent because they can't hear what's going on. And it's like hearing aids now are so itty bitty tiny. What's the big deal? You know, we're all, what I like to say is we're rotting, you know, gravity's getting to us and we're rotting, we're getting older and it's our job to make the best with what we have, you know, do the best that we can. So to go into denial about the fact that you're imperfect, I think is rather endearing because we're all imperfect. You know, part of that too, let's talk about, um, you know, seeing how somebody receives love versus giving. There's a lot of people that are great givers, but they haven't kind of been able to sink into the receiving part. Um, and I know that's part of feeling worthy, um, but I'd love you to maybe touch on that a bit. Yeah. Um, I was I was talking to somebody about this earlier today because it's sort of in the same category as being uh, a people pleaser and a doormat. Right. And and here's what I learned from my husband about this because my husband is one of the most giving people I've ever met in my entire life. He believes his mission on the planet is twofold. One is to take care of me, and the other one is to make sure that every person he comes in contact with has the experience of being loved. Mm. That's his mission in life. And when we first got together, I noticed that in my perception, he was really rigid about certain things. Like, you know, he would meditate at the same time every day. He would go to the gym for the same time every day. He had to have his meals at the same time every day. It was, And if I tried to schedule meetings or other things around it, thinking, well, you know, you could go to the gym in the afternoon, he, he would get grumpy about the whole thing. And finally, I just said to him, I, I don't, you're kind of like a paradox to me because on the one hand, you're so giving. And on the other hand, I'm perceiving you as rather rigid and stingy with your time. And he just laughed and laughed. And when he start, stopped laughing, he said to me, he said, the reason I can live my mission, the reason I can give so much, well, that was a motorcycle, sorry for that, <laughs> is because I fill myself up first. Right. I know that in order for me to really give and receive, 
I have to be filled up, which means I need to meditate, I need to eat right, I need to exercise. And that changed my whole perception of it, you know, because when, especially women do this, they get so busy. So they've got their work and their kids and their families and aging parents and stresses about money and carpool. And they, you know, they give and give and give and they think they're being selfless, but they're not because they're not doing the self-care part. They really need to take care of themselves so they can be fully present instead of being resentful and being bitchy. So um, learning to receive is so important because, you know, like what's her name from Facebook? Uh, Cheryl Sandberg wrote that book, Lean In. Mm -hmm. So when we're working, we want to lean in. We want to be fully in our masculine energy and be, you know, going for it. But when we want to be wives, girlfriends, mothers, good friends, we need to lean back and we need to open our arms wide and receive and let our feminine energy radiate and work from there. And it's a balancing act. And it's all about knowing what we need to keep ourselves full. Let's get into readiness for your partner because there's some really interesting sort of ritualistic things. You know, you talk about saging or cleaning out some energy, um, you know, starting off this new life you're going to have with a clean slate. And um, I, I love the way you talk about the emotional, you know, physical and psychological space and kind of preparing for that impending arrival, you know, and um, I love... I just love that idea. We, I love, you know, it's a classic story about the famous actress you mentioned who set a table for two every day, right? Yeah. So, oh, you're telling her name now. See, 20 years ago, you weren't saying her name. So. Well, you know she what? Loved- since, since she's passed on to the other side, uh, so here's what the story is. So, so what you're talking about is what I call feathering the nest and living as if. So when we're feathering the nest, we're getting our home prepared to receive our beloved. And even if you know the place you're living in now is not the place you'll live with them, it's still worth doing because it sends a clear, strong message to the universe that you have literally have space in your home for another. So we begin by saging the house or or cleansing all the old energy out of it, clearing out the clutter. Then we literally go and make space. We make sure that the nightstand on their side of the bed is empty, that one drawer in the dresser is empty, that we make space in the closet, even if it's just a few inches for some of their clothes, give them half a shelf in the bathroom cabinet. If you have a two-car garage, you, you park on your side and you make space for another car. You know, so it's this, all these signs to the universe. I literally have space in my mind, body, soul, heart, and my home. And then the other part, living as if, is when your actual daily actions mirror your belief. So if your belief is the one I've asked for is already mine, that on the unseen plane, I'm already connected to my beloved and any moment I'll meet them in the physical world. What could I be doing to demonstrate this? And there's a lot of easy, fun things you can do. You can buy greeting cards, birthday cards, Valentine's Day cards, anniversary cards, I love you just because cards, and fill up a drawer with all these cards you're gonna give them someday. You could buy tickets to concerts and plays coming up three or six or nine months in the future. Um, If you get invited to a formal event with an RSVP card, RSVP plus one. Love it. You know, like really make a statement. And the story that you referenced was what uh, the actress from um, Touched by an Angel, Della Reese, did when she wanted to manifest her soulmate. She loved to cook. She was actually a gourmet cook. So she would cook a beautiful meal, set the table for two, put flowers and candles on the table listen to music, and set a place at the table for her beloved. And she did this for, you know, something like six months until he was actually sitting there with her. And then they got married. And then he told me I couldn't I couldn't use her name in my book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love the, um, I just love the vibrational, these vibrational moves to make because they can be very cheap and simple and easy. No one has to go out of their way. You just leave a little space. And that's also kind of connected to this wanting versus having, right? Like stepping into that uh, versus, yeah. Right. Because what 
when you're in the state of wanting, you can't have anything that you want. And the reason for this is the state of wanting is a state of lack. It's a state of missing. So when you're in wanting, lack, missing, your vibration is, I don't have. And all you can have is more of the feeling, I don't have. So when you step into living as if, when you're knowing and trusting that what you've asked for is already yours, and you're living from a place of gratitude, dear God, dear goddess, I am so grateful that I have this wonderful, comfortable bed to sleep in. I'm so grateful that on the unseen plane, I'm already connected to my beloved. I'm so grateful for all the friends and family who love me that I love. And you fill yourself up with gratitude and love what you are going to magnetize is more love. And that... It's just the law of the universe. Right, and, and I um, I want to connect the savor, the waiting with, sometimes you get a little tester situation before it arrives, right? That happened to you? <laughs> well, there's, there's, yes, there's a couple of different things. So when I talk about savoring the waiting, it's about really learning to appreciate your final days as a single person as opposed to looking at your watch, tapping your foot, saying, he's late, she's late, when's it going to happen, you know, and you're in this whole frenzy, you're in this, wow, you know, this may be one of the last nights that I can get into my PJs at 6.30, eat the entire bag of of cookies, (laughs) read People Magazine, and watch the Kardashians all at once, right? (laughs) Uh, That, this may be the last time. The other thing that happens when you're in this state is is you may be tested. And what I mean by that is that when you truly believe that your that your soulmate is not only already out there but is also looking for you and is soon to arrive into your world. If you are having random casual sex with somebody you are certain is not your soulmate, I say it's sort of like cheating on them. You know, because if I said to you, Al, I guarantee he's arriving tomorrow at 7 a.m., would you be having sex with your ex tonight? No, definitely not. You know, probably not. So it's another demonstration to the universe that not only are you trusting that they're coming and knowing that they're coming, you are already committed to them. You've already made the commitment even though you don't know their name or what they look like or what day their actual physical arrival is. Yeah, that, um, you know, can be another one, too, where if you have some friends with benefits out there or those kind of things to maybe clear them out while you're going through this process as well. Not only not just get into them, but maybe clear them out if you truly want. I, I really love that vibrational move. Yeah, and the thing about friends with benefits, it's, it's if you're in a place in your life where you don't have the time or you're not ready for the long-term committed relationship, then have all the fun you want. Enjoy but, it. Enjoy it, right. But if you say, if you were to tell us that, yes, my number one priority is to to manifest a soulmate who is open, willing, and available for a long-term monogamous marriage, you know, if that's what you're up to, then these are kind of the rules that work best. Before we get into sort of keeping love and turning your mate into your soulmate and the other side of it, and by the way, this this conversation, and I'll definitely put it in the show notes, show notes, but this is for men and women. Before we get into that, would you mind touching on a few male experiences of, of you know, students of yours? Because you have a couple good ones in the book, but sometimes we, you know, we're, we're, yes. we're women talking about men, but this is applicable everywhere across the board. Yes, and I and and actually the soulmate secret works faster for men than it does for women. And the reason for that is men don't have all the gobbledygook in their head and all the limiting beliefs that they're not good enough and there's nobody out there for them. They have a lot more confidence in this field. But um, you know, one of my favorite stories is about my friend um Greg when he wanted to manifest his soulmate. Uh, he had read the book and he got to the whole section about creating a, a treasure map, a vision map where you collage all the images onto a board and you have a visual re- visual representation of your future. Well, Greg likes to think big. So his treasure map became the entire wall of his office. Wow. Like, you know, eight feet high and 12 feet long, an entire wall. 
And within months, he manifested this beautiful woman, and they now have a son. I had another friend who did the same thing. He he read the book. He thought it was as weird and woo-woo and new agey as it comes. He didn't want to do most of it. In fact, he took me to lunch one day, and he said, he said, this stuff doesn't work. And I said, actually, it does. And I said, don't you make goals for your business? He was a very successful entrepreneur. And he said, yes, of course I do. I said, well, think of all of this as goals for your love life. He said, okay. He said, I'll make that treasure map. So he made the treasure map. And um, it didn't have that many images on it. Mostly it had a picture of a man with a, a young boy on his shoulders. And you couldn't see either of their faces. You could just see them from behind. So from behind, the man was the same sort of body build as my friend, same color hair. And the little boy was sort of the mini me version of him. And it had some sort of romantic dinner holding hand images. And he said to me, he said, I'm so happy with my treasure map that I've made it the wallpaper for my iPhone and my my laptop. And I'm looking at this image all day long. And a few months later, he called me up and he said, I met her. I, I met her. I said, well, how did that happen? He said, I was in, in first class flying overseas. And uh, one of the flight attendants was having a hard time. There was a drunk, disorderly passenger. And I jumped out of my seat and I took care of the situation. And when it was all over, the head a uh, flight attendant said, you know, we're so grateful to you. You really helped. You helped out our flight attendant, Pia, and we'd like to reward you. What can we do for you? And he said, I need Pia's phone number. <laughs> I love that move. Old. So they went out on a date, and one thing led to another, and they got engaged. And when I met her for the first time, I asked her, I said, when did you know that he was the one for you? And she said on, on our second date, he showed me his treasure map and everything on it was what I wanted. That's amazing. Um, before we wrap up the sort of get into the couple situation, uh, and I know you've told it a hundred times, but can you share with our audience how you uh, ended up meeting your husband? Uh, well, I'll give you the really short version <laughs> because it's sure. really long. But, but essentially, uh, we met at a business meeting. You know, and and I had been talking to him in my head for at least six months, like every day I would just close my eyes and have a conversation with him. And not him, not him specifically, no, though, right? but just, just my soulmate. Like, I knew he was out there. I felt I sent a golden cord of uh, of light to his heart from my heart. And I started the relationship on the day I decided I wanted to meet my soulmate. And so we met at this meeting and the moment we met, he sort of freaked out because he had seen my face in his dream the night before we met. So he knew there was some woman coming, but he didn't know it was me. We didn't know each other. And I recognized him on a, on sort of a visceral level the moment I saw him because I had had dreams with clues and hints about him. And everybody else who was in the business meeting knew. Like they could see it, they could feel it. So we ended up getting engaged um, three weeks after we met. And then, as I said, we had three weddings a year later. That's amazing. Let's get into keeping love. So, you know, what is... You've been in it a long time. What is the unknown secret to relationship success that everybody needs to know? <laughs> well, there's quite a few, but uh, it's loaded. Yeah, yeah. So what happened was, so I married my soulmate, and for a while things were really peachy, and then things started getting strange and difficult and and weird, and I quickly realized that I had no partnership skills. <laughs> I was really good at being the boss, but I had no clue how to be a good partner. So I put myself on this mission to become a student of love. And what I discovered was that there's some real basic stuff about marriage that nobody ever teaches you. And, and I think one of the most important things I learned uh, was from a man named Dr. John Gottman, who's, I think, considered the world's leading marriage researcher. He's been, he's been at it for 50 years. He's at the University of Washington. And what he discovered is that every single couple 
has a minimum of nine irreconcilable differences, a minimum of nine things on which you will never, ever agree, but that you learn, you have to learn how to have creative solutions for. So these are things like, you know, one person's a spender, one's a saver. One's a neat nick perfectionist. The other one's a messy slob. One wants sex three times a day. One wants it once every three weeks. One likes it hot. One likes it cold. You see where I'm going? There's a lot. You wouldn't have all of them, but there'd be nine of those where you would. And you and so we approach it like, well, this will be great as soon as I can change them. Right. You know, as soon as I can get them from being such an up to uptight, neat neck perfectionist, life will be peachy or, or the ones always late ones on time. But the truth is, this is normal. These kinds of things are normal. What isn't normal is to get divorced because of these things. So we need to learn how to come up with creative solutions, not necessarily compromises, because it's not about winning or losing. It's about learning to love, honor, respect, and cherish your partner for exactly who they are. And Right. You know, one of the biggest issues Brian and I had early on in our marriage was over money. Um, he's a spender. I'm a saver. He grew up in a home, a very affluent home, and his mother trained him to only buy the best, to only wear designer clothes, to always have the highest quality of everything. I grew up in a very poor home where the car was repossessed, the water was turned off, there were daily fights over money. You know, the back seat of my father's car had no floor. The, there was no floor. There was a seat, but there was no floor. You know, some Flintstones car right there. Yeah, Flintstones car. And my, you know, my grandmother lived with us for a while, and she'd survived the depression. So I heard all these stories of how she went hungry. So, so we came from two different money backgrounds, and I committed that I was going to grow up and make a lot of money and hold on to it. I would never be poor. I would never be hungry. Now suddenly, I'm married. And it's not that we don't have enough money. We do. It's how the money's being spent that's making me crazy. You know, like he's buying a $2,000 Armani raincoat, you know, where <laughs> I would buy, I would get a yeah. um, Burlington coat TJ factory, Max or something. right? Yeah. And spend $60. And so finally, I realized that, that he wasn't going to change. But I needed to tell him why I was so uptight about money because it was really hard when he'd introduce me as his frugal wife. <laughs> and, right. You're like, I don't want that label. Let's change that. <laughs> and and I, so I shared with him. I got really vulnerable and I told him about my childhood and how, you know, when I grew up, I never had new clothes. All the clothes I had growing up had, had other people's labels written into them because they had gone to camp. And their names were stamped in the clothes that I was wearing. You know, I mean, that's just how it was. Now, I always had clothes. I always had shoes. I never missed a meal. But we were, you know, lower, lower middle class, right? And so I explained to him why having that safety net of a cushion of money was so important to me and how hard it was for me to spend that kind of money on myself, let alone drink an $80 bottle of wine. So as we got to sharing and understanding, you know, we came up with a creative solution. And what worked for us was there was my money, his money, and our money. And we didn't police each other. But on the pot that was called our money, the agreement was nobody spends $500 or more without consulting the other. And that really helped. That really changed it. And now we're at the point where, you know, I have a great appreciation for things of high quality and I understand they last longer and they look better. And Brian, who had never shopped a sale in his life, gets really excited when he goes to Saks Fifth Avenue and finds his favorite designers at 75% off. And it's not an issue anymore. Well, uh, I, I love that you just shared such a, because money and those kind of things are, are so classic uh, between couples. What about, um, you say, why should couples wear rose-colored glasses when it comes to seeing each other? There was actually a scientific study done at the University of Buffalo where they looked at couples who consciously choose to wear rose-colored glasses. And what they discovered is that these couples have longer, happier, more satisfying marriages 
And the reason for this is by putting on the rose-colored glasses, they're always looking for what's right instead of looking for what's wrong. And it's something called the Pygmalion effect. So when you're looking for trouble, you're going to find trouble. When you're looking for good, you're going to find good. So it's a, it's a shift in perception. It's an attitudinal shift. And that's why they live longer, you know, because they're happier. You know, if you want to look for faults, for one thing, we're all beating ourselves up all the time anyway. We need to be looking at ourselves with rose-colored glasses, like what's good about me? And then turn that on to everybody else in our world. And then, this is also Gottman's work, the other thing that he discovered was that the couples who share five positive affirmations with each other every day also have happier, longer marriages. So this means you have to stay present in your relationship, that you're constantly aware and present to your beloved. You're noticing what they're doing. And then during the day, you know, you might go up to your husband and say, you know, I'm just so proud to be your wife. You are such a great dad. I saw you helping little Johnny with his homework last night and it just made my heart swell. And by the way, I really want to thank you for, you know, running those errands for me yesterday when my day got out of control. And just overall, I need you to know you're my hero. Yeah, words of appreciation are so important. And this is what I try to impart on people too. If you're with someone and you love them, there are things about them that you love. So start telling them what they are. Yeah. And you know, you you can never say it too much, you know, but they need to hear it just because you're thinking it isn't good enough. None of us are mind readers. Right. And if you're constantly looking for faults in another, you know, you point the finger back and take a look at what might be going on with what you're not happy with about yourself. And there's probably some investigative, you know, work there to be done. What, what do we do though, when our partner, you know, consistently does something that just truly makes you crazy. I mean, you, you mentioned one already, but what are some others that you've dealt with clients and couples where it might be classic where someone listening could go, okay, I've got that going on. Well, there's a couple of things. So we think that they need to change. Okay. And chances are they're not going to change. Now, if there's abuse or addiction, don't listen to anything I'm saying, go get professional help, but just for the everyday annoyances What's really useful is to make up a new story. And I'm going to give you an example of that. I was uh, teaching this in a workshop one day, and uh, it's what I call wabi-sabi love, about finding the beauty and perfection in the imperfection. And this woman stands up and she says, my name's Stephanie, and I've been married to Garth for 16 years, and we've got a problem even you can't solve. And I said, okay, what is it? She said, well, I'm a clean freak, I'm a neat neck, I'm a perfectionist, and Garth is a total messy slob. She said, the thing that's keeping us together right now is that he travels out of state for work two weeks of every month. So while he's away, the house is mine, and it's clean and pristine, and it all is well. But within hours of him returning home, You know, it's like a tornado hit and it's a mess again. And I just don't think I can take it anymore. And um, so I thought about it for a moment and I said to her, well, Stephanie, do you have a dog? She said, yes. I said, does your dog shed? (laughs) Yes. I said, well, what do you do when your dog sheds? She said, well, I vacuum up after him. And I said, and do you love your dog? And she got really quiet. And then she said, oh, my God, Garth sheds. I love it. And she, <laughs> Right? And she saw, just like it's the dog's nature to shed, there's nothing you can do or say to change that. Garth is a slob. So I thought that was just a great story. But a year after this happened, I actually tracked her down and called her. Because I wanted to know, did she have a, you know, workshop aha moment or did something change? What happened? So it took me a while to find her because this this all happened at the Sun Valley Wellness Festival. So I called the promoters and I said, oh, I had this big workshop and there was this woman there. And I remember her name was Stephanie and his name was Garth, but I don't know anything else. And the woman I was talking to said, oh, yeah, I know Stephanie. She's a local realtor. Here's her number. So I called her up and I said, how are you? What's going on? 
And she got all dreamy and she said, oh, my God, things have never been better with me and Garth. She said, in fact, things are so good that he quit his job to start a home-based business so he could be with me 24-7. And yes, he's still a slob. Mm. I love it. But this perspective changed and the feelings changed. Um, and that leads right into sort of... Uh, we, I know you believe this, and it's so true. We have to be personally responsible for our own happiness in life, of course, but especially in a relationship. And sometimes that seems counterintuitive, but again, it's looking outside the external for someone who make you happy or something. So I'd love you to talk about why that's important. Well, because only we can make ourselves happy. Nobody else can do it for us. So Making yourself happy, just like, you know, filling yourself up so you have more love to give, you know, making, taking care of yourself, making yourself happy. Then when you're with your soulmate, that's like the icing on the cake. But if you sit around saying, well, I'll be happy when he does this or she does that, that day's not ever going to come. And, and one of the stories I like to tell to illustrate this is about Barack and Michelle Obama. So regardless of what your politics are, this is not a political story, but I think most people could agree that they have a great relationship, a great soulmate yep. relationship. But it wasn't always like that. They almost got divorced when both of the girls were under five years old. And what happened during that time was Barack was just starting his political career. He wasn't home a lot. He wasn't making much money. She had a big corporate job. They were sort of drowning in debt from their Ivy League law school educations. And, um, and Michelle was very, very unhappy. And she woke up one morning really early, like five in the morning. And all she could think about was how much she wanted to go to the gym and work out because she really felt overweight and out of shape. And she hadn't been to the gym in a long time. And and then she started to feel guilty. Oh, the girls are going to be up in a little while. They're going to need breakfast. And she heard Barack sleeping next to her sort of snoring. And she thought, you know, he was editor Harvard Law Review. He could figure out breakfast. And she sort of <laughs> slipped out of bed and went to the gym. And while she was working out, thinking about her life, you know, she realized she had been saying to her mother, I don't know if we're going to make it. You know, I'm just not happy. And, and she knew that Barack had told his grandmother, who was still alive then, you know, Michelle's nagging me all the time. I don't know if we're going to make it. And they were really in this sort of crisis mode. And while she was thinking about all of that, she realized that part of the problem was that she was waiting for Barack to make her happy. And then she thought, well, what do I need to do to make me happy? And she figured out three things that she needed to do to have happiness. And she got off the machine and she went home. And when she went home, Barack and the girls were at the kitchen table eating their cereal. And she was right. He figured out breakfast. And she stood in front of them and she said, family, I have an announcement to make. From this day forward, I'm going to let my mother help us. My mother's been offering to babysit more, to do the grocery shopping, and I've been trying to do it all, and I'm going to say yes. And she said, Barack, from now on, we are having dinner together as a family every night at 6.30 unless you're traveling. So you just need to know that. And you also need to know that from now on, on every Thursday night, you're taking me out on a date. We're having a date night. Is everybody on board with this? And of course, the girls didn't know what she was talking about, but Barack <laughs> said yes. And that turned their life around, you know, because she took personal responsibility for her own happiness. She clearly and nicely communicated her needs, and they weren't unreasonable at all. She just put her sword in the ground and, you know, here they are. They've been married probably close to 20 years now. They're, you know, certainly one of the happiest couples that ever lived in the White House. They've got two beautiful daughters and her mother lived in the White House with them. Right. And helped still continue and to help. She's yeah. still grandma. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's what personal responsibility looks like. What I like in all of those three things she came out to the family with there is they're they're all combined with uh, drawing boundaries, self worth, um, showing someone and telling someone this is the way I need to be loved, you know, because um, yes. people aren't mind readers, right? So so I love that because all of those encompass so many different <laughs> tangents in one. 
Yeah, and and the whole thing, especially for women talking to men, is about your communication style. You know, because I come across women all the time. It's like, I tell my husband how to make me happy all the time, and he just never does it. And I said, well, if you're talking to him the way you're talking to me with that nasty tone of voice, you need to know he's never heard you. Okay, so tone of voice is critical. You know, talking to somebody when they have time, like making a date to talk to them. And one of the ways I like to sort of set that up is like, I'll, I'll give you an example. I'm going to make this up. Let's say uh, last night, Brian and I went to a party and we were at the party talking to Bob and Mary. And in the middle of it, Brian said something that horrified me that I found embarrassing and humiliating. But I didn't call him on it right then and there. I wasn't going to rip him a new one in front of everybody. And, you know, at midnight, we got in the car to come home, and it was really late. We were tired, and I thought, well, I'm not going to bring it up now. I'm just going to go to bed pissed off, which I believe is okay. I believe it's okay to go to bed angry. I wake up this morning, and I say to him, hey, honey, I've got a problem, and I really need 10 minutes of your time sometime today to talk it through with you. When would be a good time? And of course, he's going to say, well, just tell me now. It's like, no, 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 I don't want to get into it now. Just give me 10 minutes. And he'll say, okay, why don't we go for a little walk at four o'clock? Great. Four o'clock comes, we go for a little walk. And while we're walking, I say to him, you know what, Bri? I know how much you love me. I know that you would never intentionally do anything to upset me, to embarrass me, or humiliate me. And I just need to let you know that last night when we were with Bob and Mary and you said ABC, I felt X, Y, Z. And then I shut up. Not another word. Not one more word. And what do you think's going to happen? Of course he's going to say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I never meant to do that. Please forgive me. How, whatever it is. Right? And then you just accept the apology and you move on with your life. It's really important what you said about um, stopping there and just letting the other person. And the way that you presented it, it's not in an act of, it's not a defensive act. Yeah, I'm not you're shaming. Sh- you're not, you're not, not blaming. blaming. You're not saying you did this. You're saying when this happened, like I know you're not, in t- I'm not, you know, I don't think you're malintent, number one, right? And number two, uh, but this is what I felt, you know, and then you just leave it there. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's how you talk to somebody. So you just be responsible for all of it. So, you know, if, if what it is, you know, let's say you need more help with the housework. You know, it's just like, hey, when when do you have 10 minutes? I really need to talk to you. And and you start the conversation with, you know, I so appreciate how hard you are working on behalf of the family. You know, I love that you're able to do this for us and you do this for this. And it's really, really great. And I know you appreciate how hard I'm working. And I'm having a little trouble right now because, you know, the housework is just more than I can handle. And I was just wondering, it's like, Like, you know, I know your least favorite thing to do is to clean bathrooms. So I'm happy to keep doing that. But, you know, are there a couple of things that you would mind taking on, like, you know, vacuuming or this or that and give them options and just say, you know, it would just make life so much easier, you know, if you'd be able to find some time to share these with me. You're going to get a much better response than, I can't believe I have to do all the work and everything's left to me and I'm exhausted and it's not there, blah, 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 you know. That's such com- a victim, such a victim right. mentality. Yeah. Yeah. So, so men want to be your heroes. They can't be happy unless you're happy and they don't know how to make you happy unless you tell them with a really sweet tone of voice in a time frame they can handle, which means you 10 minutes is probably their limit. One item at a time. Don't show up 10 minutes and figure on handling five things that have you pissed off. Don't bring up the past. Don't shame. Don't blame. And you know, Talk to them like who they are, your best friend, your lover, your biggest cheerleader, you know, your safe place to land and remember that you guys are a team. I love that. Last but not least, and wrapping up a little bit on this conversation, I know there are, and I'd love you to tell us what the health benefits of marriage are. Yeah. So um, there's been some studies done. They're called the marriage effect. And what they've discovered is the number one predictor of a long, healthy, happy life is a happy marriage. The number one, beyond what you could eat, beyond the exercise you can do, beyond the mindfulness or meditation that you're doing, 
being in a happy marriage is the number one predictor. People in happy marriages feel less physical pain when they are sick, they heal faster when they are sick, and they live longer lives. So um, this is why for all the people that are, you know, so focused on what they're ingesting and what they're outputting in terms of food and exercise, put your relationship as your number one priority. That is going to give you the biggest payoff. And I'm not saying cut out any good stuff that you're doing. I'm just saying add in your relationship. Yeah, tip the scales or, or, or allow space for that and start start in that direction. Yeah. Um, how can we, I mean, we can all go to the soulmate, just it's actually soulmatesecret.com to find out more about you. How can couples and, and singles, men and women benefit from your work other than just your books? Well, for single women who are making finding a soulmate their number one priority, I have a free 75-minute webinar, and it's at soulmatepassion44.com, soulmatepassion44.com. For anybody who wants to read three chapters of my book, Turn Your Mate Into Your Soulmate, all they have to do is go to the homepage of soulmatesecret.com. There's also a tab at soulmatesecret.com called Free Stuff, so you can go get all those goodies there. So that's probably the fastest, easiest way to find and connect with me. So wonderful. Any any new things um, within like your relationship? I'm sure you're learning and growing every day. Is there anything recently that you've been like, you know, I've been thinking about this lately, or or I'm curious about that? Like, what's what's on your horizon in terms of this topic? Um, well. A year ago, my husband had a stroke, and uh, fortunately, it didn't kill him, and he's been mending ever since, and then he ended up needing to get a double lead pacemaker a month after he had the stroke. So somebody who went from being a, a former professional athlete and Superman his whole life has you know, been sort of a, a reboot for the last year, uh, which you know, he's got a great attitude. He's really happy to be alive, but there are um, things he just doesn't want to do anymore. You know, like we used to do tons and tons of international travel. You know, he's now committed to only one trip a year as opposed to three. You know, so it's about sort of adapting and and adjusting and and remembering that, um, you know, according to the Jewish tradition, one of the purposes of marriage is to give what is most needed. I love that. Give what is most needed. So, you know, there are times and I'm not a, I'm not a giver by nature. Brian is. I'm not. I'm much more of a taker. I'm much more. It's all about me. And yet I've been thrown into this caretaking mode and he's pretty easy. He's not demanding at all. In fact, he's sort of the opposite. I wish he would complain more because he comes from a family where nobody ever complained about anything. Uh, so it would be useful to have more information. So it's, you know, really understanding that, you know, circumstances change, people change. And, um, you know, it requires you to change as part of the dance, right. you know, because I have more energy than I've ever had. You know, I'm, I'm willing to get on a plane at any moment. But I see now that, you know, he's happiest, you know, really at home. You know, like we used to go out to dinner five nights a week. He loves my cooking. Now, I just learned how to cook a few years ago. I'm not a great cook, but I do cook very healthy foods, you know, and he's very generous with his praise. And, you know, I discovered things like instead of going to dinner, it's he'd rather go to lunch. It's easier to go to lunch. He's more alert at lunch, you know. Yeah. So it's it's just about knowing that things will change, being adaptive, you know, looking to see where the resistance in me is because it's not about him because I know if the roles were reversed, he would wait on me hand and foot as he has in the few times where I've been sick. You know, he's, he's just a caretaker by, by nature, you know, and I'm kind of like, Oh, well, I wanted to go do that. (laughs) So that's kind of the, the newest thing is just looking and seeing how there's always room to grow. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, 
arielfordsoulmatesecret.com. Whether you're looking to manifest the love of your life or turn your current mate into your soulmate, you have got to look into her work. And, you know, thank you just for being so real as well, sharing so many personal experiences and being honest about who you are. Because that authenticity, I mean, we're all real people out here. These are real things. These are real little annoyances and stuff that comes up. And um, there's no need to sugarcoat it, you know. And I so thank you so much. Anything you'd like to leave with our audience before we... Yeah, I just actually want people to know that, you know, issues and problems and obstacles and relationships is totally normal and it's okay. And if you just learn some basic communication skills, you can get through it with a lot of light and love and laughter. It doesn't have to be World War III. (laughs) Well said. Thank you so much for joining us. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. It's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my god! So she likes like the mayo on. A oh yeah, she so she loves those. So we love them as well. We have uh, we we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo. We eat the balsamic. We eat the the ranch. Um, the avocado oil we use all the time, and, and so you know that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. <laughs> and uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.